The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, guest hosting for Leslie as I do each Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern. That's noon to 1 p.m. Pacific for those of you on the West Coast. Uh, this will be a great show. We are actually having uh, two different guests like we usually do. Uh, Leslie's fulfilling her TV duties, but she'll be back next hour live, so do not fear. Um, today, from 3 to 3 p.m. Eastern, our first guest is Ben Jacobs, a political reporter for The Guardian, a great uh, newspaper that we've used for many breaking stories here on the Leslie Marshall Show. You can read uh, more about uh, his work and other work of great journalists at The Guardian by going to www.theguardian.com. Ben's Twitter handle is at Ben C. Jacobs. And the reason that I had Ben on is I was looking for a good article as to how the Iowa caucuses work because I feel like most of the talk is about who's going to win the Iowa caucuses, who's going to have the best turnout, um, who's debating where, uh, who's eating a corn dog better, whereas... um, you know, people don't really understand it. It's just talked about, oh, the, the caucuses are different, and, you know, that's very important. But there's just a lot of talk about that, but not really a lot of talk about how does a caucus actually work. And the other thing I, I think a lot of people don't know is the, the caucus is different for Republicans and Democrats, even though they both caucus in Iowa. And most of us in most of the United States do not caucus. So Iowa gets a ton of attention because it's the first, you know, pr- uh, primary state uh, in, you know, these primaries for the Democrats and the Republicans, which is something we could talk about separately. But that's why I wanted to have Ben on because he wrote a great article, which you can find at theguardian.com entitled How the Iowa Caucuses Work and a Confusing Election Process Explained. That it is, Ben. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great piece, first of all. Thank you for writing it, because I feel like there is a lot of confusion uh, around this. So why don't we start off by just explaining what is a caucus and how is it different than a primary, Ben? Well, a caucus is different than a primary because a caucus inherently isn't an election. That the purpose of the caucus is that you have folks in 1,681 precincts in Iowa who are coming together to elect delegates to county conventions and then on up to a state convention, and then eventually those delegates, the final process, the delegates get elected to the Democratic or Republican national conventions uh, where, you know, technically the nominee is still chosen for each party. So it's a delegate-selecting process. You're not voting for any candidate. So basically, it's, it's, I think you may have mentioned this in your piece, it's almost like a micro-electoral college where, you know, yes. you're getting a say and really you are picking the, you know, the person, but you're doing it in kind of a convoluted, complicated way. Um, now, mm-hmm. another thing that I think is interesting, we'll start with the Republicans, because as you mentioned, that's the, quote, simpler of the two caucus processes. So how do the Republicans caucus? Well, the Republicans, first of all, they have a 
one man, uh, one vote process where people show up, they write a candidate's name on the ballot, which is the preference poll. This doesn't, this is now binding under RNC rules, but it's not technically electing anyone to decide the candidate who they're choosing. Um, and that's what gets reported is the caucus results for the Republicans. Everyone votes. It doesn't matter where you are. Your vote is the same, whether you're you know, in a big city or a small county. Um, and you do that, and then from there they go on to elect their delegates separately, and you can get issues in the past where the delegates and the votes are very different. Four years ago, all the delegates ended up being Ron Paul supporters, despite uh, the controversy initially over whether Santorum or Romney won the initial vote. Now, why, just without getting too much into that, they, they changed that, so essentially Ryan's previous of the RNC changed that so that couldn't happen this year, correct? change it so that the delegates are bound by it on the first ballot so that we have a broker convention things are off but it's still the ron paul people if this this these rules existed four years ago the ron paul people would be obligated to vote for santorum or romney um that it's still that you're bound to what uh, the initial preference was that they can't rejigger the delegate process but they can make sure that if you don't vote for who your state initially supported uh you get booted from the convention so basically, and the other thing uh, is with Republicans, do they, so whoever wins, they get all the delegates from Iowa or does it split? Um, it's it splits that the Republicans, that they're going through a delegate election process, that depends on who wins the most, you know, that it's in terms of how they elect delegates and what they make deals, that it's not necessarily going to be, you know, winner take all. But it depends on how they work out and how they decide to elect the process that four years ago was essentially winner take all. But it can work out slightly differently depending on the process. But there's no set rules because this is just a delegate election process. And nominally, the delegates are just running as delegates without any uh, any ties, explicit ties to a campaign. Now, does this process in your mind favor you know, the caucus process uh, favor any certain Republican candidate over another? I know there's been some talk about the difference of the people who will caucus for the two the two front runners between Trump and Cruz. Um, how do you see that breaking down? Um, that I, I think the caucus process obviously leads to slightly lower turnout, but it's more of a time commitment and it's more of an investment. And caucuses are also, because the slightly different name viewed as more... Uh, slightly more mysteriously, but the caucus process between Cruz and Trump certainly favors Trump, that Cruz is tapping into pre-existing networks of uh, social conservatives, of evangelicals, of people who have been through the process before, whereas Trump is bringing a lot of new people into the process. So that level of familiarity uh, has to be considered to give Cruz somewhat of advantage there. And that's, I think, what some of the consensus has been. We'll see, because the wild card really is the Trump support, because they are new caucus goers, and you know they may not be as reliable to show up for these caucuses. Whereas you said, the people who have consistently showed up, you know, election after election cycle, are are coming out for Cruz. So I think that'll be definitely something to watch. Now, let's go. Uh, for the time being, over to the other side, to the Democratic side. How is the process work for the Democratic caucus? The Democratic caucus is very complicated. Um, it much It's not at all a winner-take-all process that Democrats need in each individual precinct. So each 1,681 precincts has an own, their own separate miniature election for delegates. And so 
people show up and they break up into groups. That there's a group if you're you know if you're supporting a slate of delegates, want to support a slate of delegates to support Hillary Clinton, to Martin O'Malley, Bernie Sanders, or uncommitted or anybody else. And it is not at all a secret ballot. They break into a room and then they get they count uh, who supports who, and you need to have and that's the first round, and you need to have at least the support of 15% of the people there to be able to elect delegates. And if you don't, then you're considered not viable. And one of two things happens. You either lure over people to make yourself viable, other candidates, or if that doesn't seem to happen, your supporters that uh, disperse to you know other folks, that if you're not viable and you can't win anyone over, then you have to go support another candidate or even go home. And that leads to a sense of deal-making because you're just selecting delegates. That's so that's really going to be, honestly, I mean, looking at this race is who are the Martin O'Malley people going to break for? Are they going to break for Hillary or Bernie or are they going to go home? I mean, in my view, that's that's going to be a, a kind of a it could be a make or break here, couldn't it? That it could be a make or break. And my sense is that the O'Malley people are relatively uh, are relatively split down the middle. But, you know, though the fact that O'Malley is polling, say, roughly 5 6 7% right now in Iowa, that their regional pockets where he's doing uh, in a much stronger position, and that also because it's Iowa, um, there's folks tend to be a little bit nicer than other places, and that if Arnold Malley is, say, two people away from getting delegates, people will go over to support him just out of courtesy as much oh, as anything else. Wow, so that's, um, that's it, pretty interesting. And it's also worth noting that the lower the turnout benefits O'Malley as well because his core is party activists, that he probably has it roughly 20 county chairs of the 99 counties in Iowa support, uh, support O'Malley, that he sort of he spent a lot of time doing grassroots campaigning. And, you know, the reason he is such a close you know, that she is relatively low support, but everyone who supports him has met him around 10 times and because he showed up to that, and that gives him a position where he may do better than expected on caucus night uh, because of some of those factors. All right, I want to talk about how the the, the next round essentially works. After this break, we're going to talk about um, how the percentages break down. Who do you think this process favors? We talked about on the Republican side, it may favor Ted Cruz. I want to talk about with Ben who he thinks this caucus process favors on the Democratic side, if any of the candidates. We're also going to talk about the key Democrat, uh, demographic groups to watch this year, uh, how important Iowa has been uh, historically to win in the entire primary process. And uh, if we get to it, what is life like on the campaign trail during this final week for these candidates? If you'd like to give us a call, if you have a question for Ben Jacobs of The Guardian about how the Iowa caucuses work or myself, Mark Grimaldi, please give us a shout at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, holding down the fort for Leslie today from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern before uh, Leslie joins in, uh, as usual, at 4 p.m. Eastern following her uh, TV uh, appearances. Today we are joined by Ben Jacobs, a political reporter for The Guardian. That's who we've been discussing the Iowa caucuses with. And before uh, we went to break, I had alluded to the fact that I wanted to ask you the same question I did about the Republicans uh, for the Democrats. Um, Ben, I know the caucus process looks like it's going to probably favor Ted Cruz uh, over Donald Trump. What does it look like in the Democratic side? Does it look like it will favor a certain candidate or not really this year? Uh, the rules of the caucus process give an advantage to uh, to Hillary Clinton that Bernie Sanders has very dense pockets of support, particularly in places like college campuses. And because the Democratic caucuses are not one man, one vote, you're just electing a specific number of delegates in each precinct. That means that you know if he has a thousand supporters in one precinct, it's as helpful to him as if you know that it doesn't make that much of an added benefit to them because it's it's not individual votes that they still elect the same number of delegates. So with Clinton having her support more spread out across the state, that gives her a distinct advantage. And that's because uh, in your article, like you accurately reported, they um, have it, the, the Democratic uh, Iowa um, leadership has it so that Basically, the last two elections, however many people voted in that precinct, is how the delegates are spread out. So you could have, you know, say you're an Iowa caucus goer and you go to your precinct to caucus, you could, whether you have 10 people or 500 people, you have the same amount of delegates uh, no matter what because it's already been predetermined by previous election turnouts. Isn't that correct, Ben? Yes, it would be it would be like the uh, like the electoral college um, that uh, that you know no matter how many people turn up uh, end up uh, end up turning out to vote in uh, in Delaware, it'll still have three electoral votes, and it's the same way at a precinct level. So, knowing that, um, you know, what are the, some of the key demographic groups to watch this year? You just alluded to the, um, you know, the young college goers being in support of Bernie Sanders. Um, what do you think about that demographic group this year? What are some things to look at with with uh, regard to that group, and what are some other groups that we should look out for this year? Well, I think with college kids, it's a matter of organizing and then and the level of how that's spread out. That this is. Unlike 2008, campuses, college campuses will be in session during the caucuses, and that matters. Uh, that matters a big deal because it's easier for students to come out. But in terms of other demographic groups to watch, that what will be very interesting is folks who are new to the process. That the in general turnout, uh, the more people who show up on caucus night in both caucuses, the higher the turnout. The advantages for. Uh, for Trump and for uh, Bernie Sanders is their appeal is based on bringing a lot of new people into the process. Uh, that'll be one big one big key. I think another interesting measure will be the divide between college-educated and non-college-educated folks on the Republican side, because the lower the level of education right now, uh, that's disproportionately likely to favor Trump, and getting those folks out will make a big difference for him as he sort of builds this new blue-collar coalition. Now, um, basically, looking historically at our previous elections, how important has winning Iowa been historically for uh, the Democrats and then the Republicans? 
Um, I was mattered to slightly different degrees in both parties. The saying in Iowa that it's not necessarily about winning. It's that there are three tickets out if you need a top three finish. Um, the Republicans, Iowa, definitely served to winnow the field significantly. Uh, with Democrats, Iowa's become uh, set the stage for momentum uh, that no candidate in the past 20 years, the Democrat, has won the nomination without winning Iowa first. Uh, Obama, John Kerry, Al Gore all been a critical, critical state for them and where they really dispatch challengers or show their strength. With Republicans, because of the social conservative base in the state, it's been a little bit different, but it's served to narrow this sort of, the social conservative evangelical way in the field and help to thin things down with that half of the party than with New Hampshire serving to thin the establishment lane of the field, uh, too, so that by the time you get to South Carolina, you're only down to a couple of candidates and making it a clear choice for voters. Now, one of the parts that I thought was pretty cool about your article that, you know, maybe we, we didn't know a lot about is the, the basically the part about life on the trail. Um, and, you know, you you mentioned a pretty interesting uh, um, use of uh, the term one-car caravans by uh, American mm-hmm. political journalist Walter Shapiro. Tell us about that versus some of the larger campaigns and what that's like. Well, there's an entire range of how folks campaign throughout the state that now be in the era of Donald Trump making uh, 60-mile journeys by private jet. It's it's even added to the class stratification, but that bigger candidates will have buses and uh, that right now Ted Cruz has had a bus throughout Iowa um, where there's not just a bus for the campaign but one for press to accompany him. Bernie Sanders has one now. Hillary Clinton has one. In contrast, other candidates, uh, you know, go down to having just uh, having an SUV. But you know, a couple of candidates, uh, you know, having been on the trail a few months ago with Rick Santorum, for example, he had worked his way up to two SUVs after four years ago, being in the front seat of his campaign manager's pickup truck for much of the campaign. So as folks move around, that there's a sense of their uh, modes of transportation are tend to be commensurate with their status in national polls and fundraising. Ben, I want to thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I think you gave us some great insight as to uh, how the Iowa caucuses work for both sides. If you want to check out more of Ben's work, you can read his stuff at theguardian.com. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. It's at Ben C. Jacobs. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. We'll be right back to talk about how an independent run by Michael Bloomberg could affect the race, as well as uh, the Democratic uh, race and um, Donald Trump. We'll be right back after this.